Hi there. Welcome to another episode of The Linsider. This is episode six. Today I have Dwayne Worrell with me. Dwayne is a writer, producer, and also aspiring director. He is someone that I've known for a few years, and Dwayne has a very interesting history. He is originally from Boston, by the way of Barbados. He spent 10 years in China working as a translator and also starting his writing career out of China. And he since moved and established his career in Hollywood, in Los Angeles, both as a feature film and television writer. So I believe Dwayne has a very unique and valuable perspective. So I'm very happy that he took out time to have this conversation with me. I think you'll learn a lot through my conversation with Dwayne. If nothing else, hearing a different perspective and learning about the experiences that he had navigating how he made his way into Hollywood and establishing himself as a writer. And he has a really cool story of his breakthrough. So I'm really excited to have you hear our discussion. Before I do, I am now in my second month of the Linsider podcast. It's been a fun and great ride. And if you have enjoyed this, I would just ask if you could do a favor few things. One, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcast or whatever your favorite podcast app is, please uh, rate and review the podcast. It's very helpful to get five-star reviews and ratings of the podcast so that the algorithms can do their work and more people can find out about the podcast. Please follow The Linsider on social media. You can just find The Linsider by looking it up on Twitter or Instagram. LinkedIn, Facebook, etc. And also, I would love to hear from you. I have not yet heard from any of the listeners except for my direct friends, but I would love to hear from you guys and you can either DM me on social or email me at thelinsidershow@gmail.com at gmail.com and just let me know what your thoughts are and if you have any questions or suggestions on how things can be better, what you would like to hear more of, or what your thoughts are on particular past episodes or what you may want to hear in the future. Thanks so much. I really appreciate that. Another thing is if you follow The Linsider on socials at some point down the road, I will be doing some giveaways. I have some fun giveaways. I think you'll really like it. And so stay tuned. Without further ado, here is episode six of The Linsider with writer-producer Dwayne Orell. Hey, this is episode six of The Linsider. I am very happy to have writer, producer, director Dwayne Orell with me. Dwayne, welcome to The Linsider. Thank you, Jason. Good to be here, man. It's, I appreciate you having me. Yeah, of course. I started this podcast to discuss entertainment from a cross-cultural and interdisciplinary perspective. It's funny because as I started this, a lot of people thought I meant Asian. I don't have that on any of my materials. Let's 
figure out a way to be truly cross-cultural because there's not enough of this discussion. And I think right. a lot of the discussions that I've had uh, with friends or as I'm doing business internationally, I think that doesn't get covered in the mainstream media. And so that's why I wanted to start this. And you are a perfect example because if I just look at your bio, I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, yeah, he's just this American dude from Boston and he's mm -hmm. black. But as I peel the layer, it's like gets more and more interesting. So I'm really happy to have you on. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for taking I the time. I should ask though, Jason, am I the first black guy? Am I the inaugural black guy on the show? You are. I didn't All know right. if you wanted, and I, I didn't know if we want to touch upon that. Well, you're also the inaugural non-Asian guest. Okay, good. <laughs> Whatever good, that, good. There's only I, been, I, I've only recorded five episodes. Right. <laughs> you're the sixth. I'm still honored. I still feel honored. So that's good. <laughs> Yeah, I want to show everyone. It's not limited. If you have a perspective that is cross-cultural, that is interdisciplinary, I want to speak with you and get that voice out there. I think it's really important. Excellent. So to begin, I guess you gave me a brief bio, but I feel like that's just a, that was just a snap to like whet our appetite. You were very brief with it, very writerly. In your own words, can you just introduce yourself? Tell me about you. Okay. So as I wrote there, I'm from Boston. That's not 100% accurate. I was actually born in Barbados and lived in Barbados until I was 11, 12-ish. And then I moved to the United States, came to the United States with a very thick accent. You can't hear it now, but that's why I don't have a Boston accent because I sort of, my accent is this strange mesh of Caribbean and standard American sort of, you know, accent. So I was in- You have a very in, neutral accent, if anything. Right, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it's part of the, the process of adaptation. When I first moved to the United States, I definitely felt out of place. I was at an all-white school mm. and I was foreign as well. So mm. I think subconsciously I twisted my accent into that sort of standard American accent very quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, just to fit it. And over the years, it's just like very naturally overtaken who I am. So there's a whole, there's a whole mess of stuff to uh, look into there. But after being in Boston for what was it there for about five, six years, I, I moved to Atlanta, spent my senior year in Atlanta, did university in Atlanta. And I studied, um, I studied theater arts. I started in computer science, but I quickly realized I was below average in computer science. And I was like, this isn't for me. So I moved on to theater and uh, I did writing as well, fiction writing, and uh, also studied Mandarin Chinese. You have to study a foreign language when you're an arts major. So I, I studied Mandarin because it was the most interesting of the bunch. French and Spanish wasn't very interesting. So I studied Mandarin and after I graduated, I got work in Beijing, China, moved to China, started doing translation work. I did acting work over there and I, I did a lot of writing on the side as well. And eventually my writing, it got better. You know, it started to get the attention of people back in LA. So I, I sold a couple scripts, moved back to the United States, moving to Los Angeles. And here I am today, uh, still hustling, still struggling to get things moving. So. Uh, it's a little bit of the backstory. I love it. Aren't we all still, are we all hustling? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I love that. That's a, a template of what I can ask you questions about. So I guess this arts major and having to study Mandarin, talk a little bit about 
more about that. What year was this? Studying Mandarin is still kind of odd. You hear about it more maybe in big cities. Like, right. Was that、um, a, your choice? Like, did your friends or people wonder what you were doing? Not too much. I think they knew me, and this might actually be somewhat politically incorrect. But I remember back in high school and college, they used to call me Blackie Chan. Oh my gosh!、Um, Why? <laughs> well, I was very much into a lot of. So the first movie I ever saw was a Jackie Chan kung fu film because、ah. my dad was very much into the Hong Kong films,、mm. and I grew up on that a lot. The first film I had ever seen is called Spiritual Kung Fu. The first film in my memory is that Jackie Chan movie. I grew up watching martial arts films. I, I've always loved martial arts films, and I would try to study martial arts and whatnot. So a few of my friends would call me Blackie Chan. Okay.、Um, they, they they were also makes black, more sense. But, I get, I get, yeah, yeah, totally fine. And from you know from there, I it, so the choice to study Mandarin was was pretty obvious in their mind and pretty obvious to me as well. Spanish,、okay. great language to learn. You know, French as well, but. I was always attracted to to more Eastern languages like Chinese, so so Chinese was sort of a natural natural choice for me. Oh, that's cool. I mean, and for your dad, like, how did he get into martial arts movies? Was that martial arts movies specifically, or all Asian movies? It was definitely martial arts films for my dad. I love him, but I wouldn't say he's culturally adept enough to be into the more artistic films from Asia. He he's definitely. Into action movies of all sorts. Hey, and... action films are very artistic. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Choreography and everything is—it's a beautiful thing. I、um, so I—I I, I think I got that from him. I got my start from him. He loved Bruce Lee. He loved、oh, Jackie Chan,、um, Jet Li back in the day. So I grew up on that, and that was sort of yeah, it was just sort of a natural, natural line for me to to go into studying Mandarin. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I love it. And then, how was that? Because I have no understanding of what you had to go through in terms of studying math. How did you pick it up? I think I I really enjoyed the process. I had never learned. I had never really learned Spanish or any language. In in high school, I studied Latin for two、mm. years, and it was really just. It wasn't. It wasn't like learning a language. It was like learning history to some degree, and and so you know. So it wasn't. It wasn't a living language. And once I started、right. studying Mandarin, it was it was something that I could go back and I could start picking up movies and understanding、mm. things and and、mm. slowly, you know, it, it was just so exciting. It was so alive. So、mm. I, I enjoyed the process. It was a difficult process, but eventually going to China and studying in China really shot the level up to、oh. the next gear because you're interacting with the language on a daily basis.、Mm -hmm. And so talk about that, like you. Talk about it so casually, like you got a job after graduating in Beijing. But who? How do you do that from Atlanta? You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I studied theater in Atlanta, in Atlanta, and the theater scene in Atlanta isn't very strong. So it wasn't like I was getting a job in the arts, fresh、mm. out of fresh out of college. So、mm. one of the better options that I had was to then go to China and and work and. Once I arrived in China again, I planned on doing it for six months, something like that, and、mm. then coming back. So that's why it wasn't. It didn't seem like a, such a big deal at the time because I was like,、yeah. "Look, I just graduated college. I'm going to go over there six months, learn the language, get to know some people, enjoy myself a little bit, and then、yeah. come back to the states."、Mm. 
Mm-hmm. But once over there, I, I realized China's the, the economy is booming, and I think mm-hmm. I got a sort of a sneak peek of what everyone realized ten years after I arrived, like 2015, mm-hmm. 16, when everyone was like China's the future. Mm-hmm. I realized that when I first went over. So wait, so when were you? When did you first move there? Well, I first went there. I didn't move, but I first ah. went there for a summer program in 2005, maybe. Okay, so, so this is for the Olympics. College, right, right. Okay, and when did you move there? I moved there in the end of two thousand seven, basically two thousand eight. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right in time for like all the Olympics and right. seeing that. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. So, and so, what kind of work were you doing? You mentioned translation work, like you were translating what Chinese to English. Yeah, and、wow. this is written. Written Chinese into English, and I couldn't really do it the other way around. Right, that's because tough. I, I can't can, do it. <laughs> I can understand the Chinese, but I can't. I couldn't do it the other way around because I can't really use sort of colloquial language and, and to to make it sound more native. But I can、mm-hmm. take the Chinese and, and put it in English and make it sound native. I just need to get the general idea of what's being said in Chinese, and I could translate it over. Okay. So that was fun. That I mean, the work, the work itself taught me a lot about Mandarin. So yeah, don't quiz me now because I've forgotten. No,、much. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, I mean? But I'm sure, like, if you go back, it'll be rusty. But then you just—it's like riding a bicycle.、You、exactly. Kind of, kind of get back in the flow of things. And so, what was that like moving to China for you? I think it was exciting. My first, everything was new. Everything was fresh from the food. To the language, to just daily interactions with people, and one great thing was, you know, going on the basketball courts, and that's where I met、mm. a lot of friends. China、mm. basketball is huge in China, and I'm a huge basketball guy. Okay. So that was just a, a very natural connection between the two of us. Was sort of between the, between the cultures, American culture and Chinese culture, was through basketball. So I. Honestly, I had a lot of fun that first year. It wasn't like work. It wasn't like you know. It was it was like going on vacation almost. Yeah. Full year. So I I had a lot of fun. It was very enjoyable. Wow, that's cool.、And、After a you... while, it became normal. You know, I, I、yeah. was there for about eight years total. So、mm-hmm. it's a situation where I it just became second nature. Like just living in China, being there, just. Sort of became a natural thing. So I eventually it sort of simmered down a little bit, but for that first year it was definitely an exciting,、um, an exciting time.、Mm-hmm. So you were there from two thousand and seven to like fifteen, something like that. Yeah. Wow.、Yes. Yeah. Okay. And how did you get? And you mentioned you did some acting and writing. How did you get into all of that over there? Yeah. You know. Well. When I when I said writing, I meant sort of writing my own stuff, like writing on spec,、oh, writing spec screenplays. But、sure. as far as the acting, I, again, I, you know, I had studied theater, and I, you know,、um, focused in、uh, on the writing side of theater. Okay. But I was more so. I, I did acting as well. I did directing. So I, I sort of did everything in theater, and that's what you're supposed to do. They they try to train you in everything. So as a writer, you understand what the actor goes through, what the director goes through, what the light. You know, so we、mm-hmm. do it all. And I had done some acting, and there were roles popping up for black actors in certain films. Smaller roles, of course, bigger roles in some cases. But I, I went for those auditions, and I, I, I almost scored on every single one. It was, <laughs> I was batting ninety percent because there wasn't, you know, well, you had, there wasn't you had much training. It was like unfair. 
Yeah, exactly. Like there's in really two ways. Much competition. Yeah, uh, not many people probably to begin right. with. Not many people, and the few people that did try out weren't trained at all. You know, they yeah. were students. They were people that were there for business and whatnot. So it was uh, easy pickings. And they, they, in a way, they it was a win-win. They scored with you because you could actually act. Like most people that they're trying to go for is like, as long as you look a certain way. Right, exactly. Right? exactly. Yeah, I, I can't say that I can act very well, but I, 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 <laughs> in general, I, I can pretend to be happy, pretend to be sad. Right. Uh, that sort of thing. But yeah, yeah, it was it was a win-win. It was definitely a definitely good time. Okay, cool. And then tell me about the journey for you to get more serious into writing and then the process of you writing your spec scripts. And it's good that you said that because I think when I first went to, to China, when I went to Beijing, I was distracted. Mm -hmm. I was distracted sure. about to the newness of China, the different opportunities, whether it be business wise, you know, or, or you know, in, in learning, going back to school, all that, that I sort of lost sight of, of theater, the arts, film, writing fiction, mm. all these things sort of slipped away for a year, year and a half, two years even. I was just, I was outside of the circle of filmmakers, writers, you know, people in the arts. And I was in into this, this new world of, you know, language learning, studying, translating, this type of thing. And I would go back and forth and I saw a friend of mine who was, who had studied with me at Georgia, Georgia State University. And she was, she was still in the, in the industry or, or making her way into the industry. Mm. And that sort of kicked me in the butt. And I was like, mm. oh, I need to, I need to get back into this, you know, because in those two years, I would maybe start writing a script and then get to page 25 and stop. Mm -hmm. And I did that a lot nothing got finished. And eventually though, eventually though, after acting in a film or two, after, you know, being around people in the, the film industry in China, I started to remember, look, I, I need to, I need to think about getting back into things stateside. I need to think about, you know, writing because I, I can't, I don't want to do this forever. You know, I, I want to write, I want to be a writer. I have a lot of ideas. I have a lot of, you know, film fiction ideas that I need to get into. So when I started writing again, I, I started writing in, in fiction and it wasn't film. It wasn't screenwriting. I, I, I was doing both at the same time. And I realized very quickly, you know, film writing is a lot easier. Like it's, it's as far as length and, and rewriting and reworking screenplays are a lot easier than writing novels. So I eventually mm. drifted towards screenwriting, even though I haven't lost the passion for, for writing novels, I'm still working on something right now that hopefully uh, will be released within the next year or two. Awesome. I love yeah. it. That's yeah. amazing. You mentioned, you said one thing, um, you realized you wanted to be a writer. I'll talk about that a little bit. I mean, uh, was it like from like a little kid or was it always in the background? Like, mm. how, and then how did you actually, you know, I guess really embrace that? Because I imagine it's not easy. Yeah. It's, it's hard to say, you know, this, this is actually a hard question. I, I can't say when or how mm. I decided that I was a writer or, but I know that I, I'm, I'm, I wanted to be a storyteller and I could tell that mm. from a very young age. I, when I was young, my brother and I always lived in, slept in the same room mm -hmm. and I would always tell him bedtime stories. He's a few years younger than me, mm. but I would tell him these bedtime stories and whatnot, just 
I, he he could tell you more about it than me. I can't. I can barely remember. But he would remind me from time to time. Hey, remember when we were kids? You would tell me these stories. Wow. So I think I was always naturally a storyteller. I remember writing comic books, very badly drawn comic books because I can't draw in middle school, elementary school, and high school. So I was always telling stories. And in high school, I got into Shakespeare. And I remember mm-hmm. being very disappointed in Shakespeare. Because <laughs> I've never you, heard you, that before. <laughs> you hear that. Shakespeare is this greatest writer of all time, right? And then when you get to high school, I remember reading Romeo and Juliet, and I was like, the story isn't all that good. It's not all that mind-blowing. <laughs> and Hamlet and Macbeth and these stories. I, 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 I learned to have a greater appreciation for Shakespeare over the years. But as, you know, as a kid in high school, I always thought it was about story. And I didn't understand character. Mm. And that mm. Shakespeare's, like his storylines aren't exactly super ingenious or great twists or every, anything like that. Because mm. I was more familiar with movies like The Sixth Sense came out while, while I was in high school. And mm. that's a movie where the ending, the twist was so surprising and caught people off guard. Mm. And I was expecting that from Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. For, for Shakespeare, it wasn't about that. It, it, was, it was more so about character. And that's something that I learned over time. But I remember being in high school and thinking, Yo, I can write better than Shakespeare. Because I had read, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. read Romeo and Juliet. And I was like, nah, I, can do, I can do better than this. So that's when I started you know, considering writing. At the, at the end of my high school career and moving into college, I started writing short stories and stuff like that here and there. And they were trash. They weren't good. But it was the start. It was the mm-hmm. start of it, I think. Oh, cool. Uh, there's so much <laughs> that you just said there. I love, I love that confidence, first of all. So I, it's, I really it's, love more, that. it's more ignorance than confidence, <laughs> I would say. Well, but you, there's also an interesting, interesting part there where you kind of like telling about like, you know, the, the setup for you. And the introduction of Shakespeare wasn't right, right? It was mm. off, right? Yeah. So that happens so much. Like sometimes we go into something, whether we go into a movie or we meet someone and the introduction is off and they were like, oh, and they have to work your way back like you did. Right. Like you're like, oh, it's like, I can appreciate this part and it's really good, that part, but not yeah. this other thing, which is what people told me or I thought what people told me, right? Right. Exactly, exactly. That is really fascinating. But my other comment on what you just said is I can't wait for like the Dwayne universe from mm. bedtime stories. Like I want a kid's book. I want to see the novel. I want to see all different genres of movies from yeah. action to martial arts, you know, yeah. horror, like drama. Like I want to see like all of that, like at some, at some point, I think that would be uh, really amazing that you have like the varied interest. I mean, is that, is it difficult to have so many different interests? Cause you, it doesn't sound like you have one genre. Is that difficult to navigate you're, in this you're industry? Very, you're very right. It, two good things there that you mentioned in the industry I'll touch on first is because people like to sort of, and your agents do it too. And my manager does it, did it as well. Is that they'll sort of, you write a thriller. And now you become the thriller guy mm-hmm. and all the thriller films that studios might want to make, they reach out to you for that. They wouldn't think about you for a romantic comedy mm-hmm. um, because that's so far away from, from what you write. So it does become challenging sometimes if you want to, for example, write a horror 
or for me, there is a rom-com that I have in mind, which is very much out of my, my genre, but the story, I like the story so much that it's something that I, I want to write. It might mm. be the only rom-com I ever write, but sure. it's something I, I want to write. So it, it does become, you do sort of, the cement does harden after a while. If I write two or three thrillers, action thrillers, stuff like that in a row, I become that guy. I become the, the action thriller guy and that's sort of what people look for from yeah. it. Yeah. So it does, it, it, it does become challenging at times. But I, I mean, I, I do have varying interest and writing a rom-com, I haven't started yet, but I know it will be challenging because for me to write a joke is very hard. In, I, I think comedy for me is very, very challenging because you have to come up with joke after joke and segment after segment, scene after scene, setup after setup. And that's not the way my mind works. And there's definitely a learning curve that mm -hmm. comes with writing something that's outside of your genre. For sure. Yeah. But it seems through your journey, like you kind of figure it out and you'll see how it goes. Yeah, I think, I think I'll, I'll hopefully, hopefully I should say, hopefully I'll, I'll overcome that, that, uh, that speed bump. In, in writing a rom-com, but you'll see it. You'll see. I think the story, the story is, is, is uh, strong enough. Oh yeah. And, and you mentioned my, the basketball thing. I can't, my bad I, want rom, I want to see the rom-com. I want to see the sports movie. <laughs> I have one. I've got one for each, each, each genre you're setting up. I, I have a film. So yeah. Yeah. Um, amazing. That's great. And you were very, very humble. You didn't mention it when you mentioned, when you, when you walked through kind of your bio, but so tell like talk about the journey or the story of the wall and i'm sure you've done it before at some point but yeah. I, I i think you can't you probably can't tell that story enough like share a little bit about how that happened okay so so the wall came after another screenplay that i wrote another spec screenplay that i wrote i had been uh, writing spec screenplays for a while and you know in my mind i'm a writer who's better than shakespeare yeah. And, and none of my movies have gotten made. None of my movies, none of the scripts I've written have gotten any interest. So mm -hmm. was, there was this one screenplay idea that I had that I thought was genius. I thought it was the best script ever written. And I wrote mm -hmm. it and I put it into the Nickel Fellowship and the Austin Screenplay uh, Film uh, Screenplay uh, Festival mm -hmm. and nothing. No mm -hmm. one responded. No one did. No one liked it. No one was interested. Mm -hmm. So I, I was sort of at a, you know, in a place of almost being at rock bottom after writing, you know, five or six screenplays, none of them ever getting, not, not only not getting made, but not garnering any interest from any producers or, or big names. So mm. I, I was like, look, if, if I'm going to get a film, maybe I'm going to have to direct it myself. Mm. So I wrote a script, and this is the wall that I could shoot for nothing. I need one person one location and a gun, which in America is very easy to come by. So I was like, let me just, let me just go ahead and, and write a script that I can do where you have one person and a voice over the radio that you don't need to see for the entire film. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, that's sort of where the idea for the wall came from. And interestingly enough, that's the, that's the one script that I wasn't going to have to show to anybody mm -hmm. because I could shoot it myself. And I finished it and I felt good about it. And at the same time, it was sort of this intersection of things. Amazon Studios 
is not the Amazon we know today. Amazon right. Studios was open to everybody. They mm -hmm. said, just send us a script. And if we like it, we'll make it into a movie. Mm -hmm. So I shot it over to Amazon Studios. You know, why not, right? What year was uh, this that you did that, that you submitted it? This is 2014. So I'm ah. still living in China. I'm still still in Beijing. And sent it to Amazon and was looking, you know, not really expecting much, but not worried about it. Because, again, this yeah. is something I'm going to film myself. It's going to cost me maybe $10,000. And I'd saved up some money. So I was like, yeah, I could do this. And lo and behold, Amazon hits me back and they're like, look, we'd, we'd love to, we'd love to get this movie made. We'd love to option it. And the option was interestingly enough, $10,000, mm -hmm. which was enough money I needed to, to make the film. But so from there, they, they brought on Doug Lyman and Aaron Taylor Johnson and John Cena. And I was like, okay, I'll step <laughs> back. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely, you know, you guys, you guys do your thing. Doug Lyman's a very, very talented director and working with him was, was great. And Aaron is an amazing actor and, and everything, you know, everything aligned, the stars aligned on that one. So it was, I, I didn't realize how rare it was at that moment. After mm. being in the industry now for an extra five, six years, I'm like, wow, that was a lot of things lined up for that to happen because get, getting a movie made is very hard. And it's a uh, miracle. Yeah, yeah. Every time. Yeah. And I didn't realize it at that point. I was like, oh, it's this easy. All right. And um, it took many, many years for my next film to what to get to go into production. So, yeah. Mm. What do you think was about it? Because it, it's, it sounds like an overnight success or a Cinderella story. Obviously it's not. Cause you said you wrote, this was your fourth or fifth script and you've been working at this. Right. Mm -hmm. How do you, what it work? We're looking back. What are your thoughts? I, I wonder, and I, I still don't really know, but mm. There are a few unique attributes to the script. One being sort of the single location, the voice over the radio, and there's a twist that comes towards the end of the script. So mm -hmm. I think all those things intrigue the director. I think if you get in, in, this, in, the land, in this landscape, if you can get a big director to sign on to direct your movie, yeah. things start to move a lot faster. And for Amazon, it wasn't necessarily a big investment. I think the movie oh, cost right. $3 million. So for them, it was a win-win, you know? You have content on your platform. You have a big name director, big name actor. So mm -hmm. I don't think there was much risk for them going in. Right. And they, they liked the script. So they had already optioned it. They had already spent some money and they, they went ahead and made it and it's up there on their platform, so. Mm. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful movie. Okay. I think it's so well-written and yeah, that character work, I think, I mean, just all the things that you said that you look for, even when you were a child for like both the character and the understanding of the story, I think you're yeah. able to actually actualize that here. And thank you. What did you get to spend much time with Doug? Uh, I did. I okay. did. Cause he was, it was, it was interesting because at first, it was just me and the producer at, at, at Amazon working on the second draft of the script. And mm. when Doug eventually came on, it was just me and Doug. The producers were sort of pushed out and it was just me and Doug working on the script. So he would call me up and we'd have, you know, lunches or breakfasts because he lives in New York mm. and he would you know, be in uh, L.A. occasionally. And okay. so he would come in and he, he we would do calls or we would do meetings and, and we would sort of just work on chipping away, you know, cutting away some of the fat on the script, adding a few elements. 
And it's, I think it's easier as a writer to work with a director as opposed to a producer, because the, the director is really seeing how he's going to put things together and yeah. you start to understand that and you work with him in that system. So yeah, I worked with him on the script and then I was there with him on set as well while he was filming. And it was a very short shoot. I think we shot it in just over two weeks, mm -hmm. um, two, three weeks. And yeah, we were out in the desert. It was great. It was a great situation. So I mm. had a great time working with Doug. What were some of your major like learnings from that experience? In um, terms I of think, like being a filmmaker, I would say. Yeah, I think one thing that I learned from Doug was sort of the one thing that wasn't in the script was the the desert and sandstorms. Mm. And while we were filming, sandstorms were became a thing. They were just we, we were all covered in these scarves and goggles, swimming goggles and stuff like because the sand was so bad. Mm. And it made its way into the film because the in in the script in the film now when you watch it he actually uses the sandstorms the the uh, character uses the sandstorms to help camouflage himself and protect him from the opposing sniper mm -hmm. and that's something that wasn't in the script so one thing I learned from Doug was the ability to sort of improvise. Mm -hmm the ability to sort of use what is in the environment on the day mm -hmm. and reinsert it into the script. So did a great job with that. I mean, it worked, it worked perfectly in the script. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, that is like definitely, yeah. Like to making the, make, making the most of that situation. Yeah. And then that environment. And then how did you get into television writing? Cause that's a little bit different, right? Yeah. Yeah, television writing, I think, is something I wasn't necessarily very interested in the beginning because TV was never at its peak when I started. It wasn't at its peak when I started writing. Mm -hmm. And once, you know, around 2014, it was beginning to happen. TV was starting to, mm. you know, go up in, 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 you know, as far as quality and, and, and writing and acting and everything else and the caliber of talent that would be willing to do television. It, it all started to go up. So yeah. once, once I came back, I was still more interested in film, but television was always there in the background. And I, I have a, a great agent on the TV side at CAA. And mm -hmm. you know, he wanted to get me into TV here and there. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely interested. But I didn't understand much about television at that time. So I wasn't as enthusiastic as I am now. Mm -hmm. My first television experience was this TV show called Iron Fist. Mm -hmm. And I had a, I had a relatively good experience on Iron Fist, got to write my own episode. And mm -hmm. the one thing I learned about television as opposed to film is that you get a steady paycheck. Like, you know, <laughs> as, as long as you're in, and that's something that's rare for people in the industry. You know, if yeah. you're outside the industry, you, you don't understand that. But once you're in the industry, you covet a, you know, a weekly paycheck. It's such yeah. a great thing to have. So it's like a routine even, you know? Yeah, exactly. 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 If it, it creates a, you know, like the sense of security. Mm -hmm. And I had that sense of security for a while, while I was on, on Iron Fist. And then I did another show called Black Samurai and eventually a show that I'm on right now, which is called FBI Most Wanted. Mm -hmm. So all these shows sort of provided that sense of security, which made it easier for me to, to think about these spec screenplays, the stuff on the film side, because 
when I don't have a TV show there, sort of building, you know, filling me with confidence, filling me with, you know, that, that weekly paycheck, there's this existential dread, worry and fear about not having enough money. And that really, you know, it takes away from, from my writing. So I, I, I'm very, I'm very fortunate to have those, those checks coming in and I'm very happy about it. So it's, it's a good thing. Yeah. And so do you plan going forward to try to balance the two, if it's possible, like doing the best to balance the two, I guess? If I can. Yeah. 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 I, I, I would love to be able to sort of have the television show and be able to do film on the side, but I, you know, I, I still would also like to eventually be a showrunner, have my own show in it and do that whole thing as well, which is it's a different level of responsibility than just being, being staffed on a show. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it. I don't know anything about television. I'm learning. It sounds yeah. Intense. It definitely is. Definitely. Yeah. Is there one that you prefer over the other now, or is it just kind of depends on the situation? Hmm. I would still say there's like for a writer, I guess, you know, like for, Hmm. yeah, I think as a writer, television has more advantages Hmm. because at being a writer in television, you're the boss. Being a right. writer in film, you're sort of that guy. You're like the architect, but you're not there during construction. You know, you 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 draw the blueprint of the house, mm. and then the construction guys do whatever they want to do. You're not the owner of the home. You're just mm. the architect. So um, it's a great analogy. I haven't I haven't heard that before. It's a great analogy. Uh, came up with it on the fly. I'm not sure it works actually. Now that I think about the specifics of the analogy, I'm not sure yeah. that it works. But exactly. it's, it's, always, it's always weird, right? In feature film, they even don't consider the writer that important sometimes, you know? No, I, yes. 100%. 100%. They, they think the writer's interchangeable, can be fired and bring on another writer. It doesn't matter. And I, I, you know, I think that television doesn't allow for that. And it's the director that sometimes that is actually interchangeable in television because oftentimes a different director will direct different episodes mm-hmm. and it's the writer who sort of has to hold the structure and the story the through line of the entire series from episode to episode yeah. so that's where i think you know the advantages of being on a tv series but i still think film has a little bit more prestige mm-hmm. so there, there, there is that, and I, you know, I, I love film, and I, I still want it to be something that is that's something that I do, something that's in my repertoire. Yeah, for sure. And speaking of that, I mean, you mentioned like for the wall, your idea was to originally direct it. Of course, yes. it happened a different way, and that yeah. was amazing too. But yeah. what about that in terms of like expanding your skill set yeah, outside uh, of writing? Right, right. Directing, I think in the film process is a part of the story. It is part of the storytelling process. And I think that for me to take my writing to the next level, for me to have more influence as a writer, being being able to direct is something that is important as well. And I, I do mm. have something in the works that I, you know, I want to eventually go ahead and direct, whether it's a short or a feature form of this story. There's a story that I want to tell that I think is something that I can direct. I think when you try to direct something, you have to be, it has to be creative, but it also has to be sort of logical in the sense that you have to think about how much money you have. And there's so many logistical aspects to directing Mm -hmm. and also producing the film yourself that you have to be cognizant of. So I'm thinking about 
what I can actually do as I write. As I write the screenplay, I'm thinking about directing it. Mm. I'm thinking about how this can happen. How, am I capable of doing this scene? Am I capable of doing that? You know, with my limited budget and my limited experience. So I'm writing a script to direct right now. So that's, that's something that's, yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, totally exciting. And what you said, I think is uh, key in terms of the being a director will help you with your writing in that philosophy, kind of in the big picture, I believe that. And that's why I say like being interdisciplinary is really important. Mm. People like to say you're a jack of all trades, but you don't know anything. But on, on, on the other side of that, if you can understand uh, a, a different role yeah. and it helps you doing your main role, then the overall product could potentially be better. I and mean, it's a very personal thing too, right? Not everyone likes doing that. Some people just want to do one thing and they want to do the one thing. But I think, yeah, that's... I want 100%, 100%. I think one thing that I got from acting in China, and this is a small, simple thing, but I don't write long dialogue anymore. Mm -hmm like a whole chunk, a page long set of dialogue, because I was on a few films in China where the script called for just this long soliloquy-esque monologue. And it just, as an actor, like it's difficult to make that realistic because people don't naturally speak like that. Yeah. So in having to go through a few of those scenes and the difficulty that I have had in those scenes, I, you know, as a writer, I'm like, no, that's, that's not realistic. That's challenging. That's going to be difficult for the, for the actor. So I don't write like that. And that's, that's one thing you learn from, from taking on uh, different roles in the filmmaking process. Perfect illustration. You, you understand the role of the actor, but then in doing that, you make yourself a better writer too. Right. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. And so I guess what in your stories in like that, cause you have all these various kind of, I guess, genres or type of stories that you want to tell, what is the glue behind all the type of stories that you want to tell? Is it a certain lead character that you want to see or mm. thematically? Mm. Is there, a, mm. is there something like that? Interesting. And I, I haven't analyzed my work to that degree to find out whether there is. It's interesting though. I think in my writing, two things tend to, to pop up a lot in the different scripts that I write. One is military. A lot of the scripts that I write deal with guys in the military or ex-military guys. There's a film that is in post-production right now called The Abandon, which it's about a military guy. There's a script that I have in development, who knows what will happen with it, but it's about the military. And the script that I recently finished is also about people in the military. And they're not the same story at all, but there is that theme and I don't know why I've never been in the military. I, I don't know that many people in the military. I do know one or two, but not that many. So I don't know why those stories keep popping up for me, but there, there's something there. I, I think I, I remember asking you this once and I forget what it was, but you mentioned, you mentioned something mm -hmm. like maybe it was like kind of, mm, did I, it, but it was something I, I don't remember exactly what it was. So I don't want to just make up right. stuff. But it was something, I think it was very human. It was a certain emotion or something like that. It was, that, that is what I recalled, like Perhaps. some ability to express, use that canvas. Hmm. Yeah. But I forget I what it was. I can't remember where my mind was at at that time. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's good. I, I think, yeah, I don't know, something about the military. It, mm -hmm. it keeps, it often comes back to that. I also think God 
religion mm. often finds itself into my scripts mm -hmm. in some way. It's, it's something that's on my mind. I grew up in a Christian household, so I, I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but mm -hmm. yeah, though, those, those are two themes, two ideas that continuously pop up in mm -hmm. my film writing, as well as the fiction writing that I do. As and for you, that kind of stuff, is it a conscious effort that you're doing or is it kind of, it's just, it, that's just what flows out and it pairs up to with what the market wants, I guess. Yeah, it comes out naturally. I don't, I just, you know, ideas sort of come to me and I get a few different ideas at the same time. And I, the, 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 the ones that sort of, I can see the beginning, middle and end better. I focus mm. on a little bit more because those stories, they're just telling themselves to me as, as, as opposed to me really trying to figure out what happens in this act, what happens in that act. The stories just naturally flow in a very natural way in, in my head. And I, I see the beginning, middle and end. Of the scripts and it's it's easier to write in that sense so mm. yeah and i guess from your viewpoint are there certain types of stories or certain perspectives that you want to see more of in whether it's in tv or in film or in books when you say types of stories we're talking genre or we're talking i think any of it whether it's a certain character or whether it's a certain culture or it's a certain mm. like viewpoint or like you know are there certain genres that you think i think any way that you want to look take a look at that what i would like to see and this i'm going to think about what's the best way to answer this is i would like to see stories told about people of color Mm -hmm. women and people that we don't naturally see, naturally see stories told about, but not focusing on the subject matter, on that subject matter. And let me explain yeah. what I mean totally. is when, you know, I'm, I'm at an agency and, and the agency often sends me scripts mm -hmm. and they'll send me certain types of scripts a lot. <laughs> I love science fiction. I mm. love thrillers and the types of scripts that I get sent are often 1960s mm. movements about the black community. And, and these are great stories that, that someone should tell. Yeah. I don't think I'm the best person to tell them, but I, I, I do love telling science fiction stories. And I wish, you know, they, they'd send me a little more of that mm -hmm. scripts, scripts like that. I'd be more interested in telling and they should have a diverse cast. I mean, yep. I'm not really in the casting process. I write a character named John. Yeah. Jan, John could be of any color, any race. Yep. Susan could be of any color or of any race. I want those stories to be told, but we also don't have to focus on it as well. Totally. John is black. He doesn't have to have this, you know, this, this model. Yeah, I hate it when I do that. My dad went through this and this and that. He, he's a, he's black and he's, he's the lead character and we, we, nothing else needs to be said about it. You know, so those are the type of stories that, that I like to tell that I would like to see more of and have it be natural, you know, yep. like we don't need to say she's the leader and she's a woman, she's a leader. Yep. And that's, that's, that's exactly. what it should be, should be normal. Yep. Normal, normalizing. I exactly. think that is a key exactly. that I think I've said a number of times on this podcast, I guess a follow-up to that is cause you mentioned your agents or your agency sends you these scripts. Is it then also for you at this moment, it's like a, you're making an economic choice. Are mm -hmm. you, are you, because like, you're not taking those and the marketplace, if you look at the marketplace right now, like yeah. just look at the best picture nominees, mm. the not, the marketplace seems to want those type of pictures. Yeah. 
Yeah, you you hit it on the head with that one. I used to take so they usually send me books, and I may have said scripts. They usually send me books or articles, sure. and they yeah. want me to to write the script for it. And I used to when I first got in the in industry, I, I was just so happy that anyone would be interested in me mm -hmm. writing something for Warner Brothers or Sony or some you know a big studio like that. Mm -hmm. But as I got older, you know, I, I realized how much effort goes into a script, and you can be writing the same same script for two years. Yeah. And, you know, if I'm going to work on something for two years, I want it to be something that I'm very, very interested in and also something that I want to see on screen. Yeah. I want to be involved in. So I have made those sort of economic choices to, to write what I want to write. This is the story I want to tell. Mm -hmm. And you are and what's what's sad and I wouldn't say sad or unfortunate about it. It is a good thing that a lot of these films are mainstream and a lot of yeah. these films are you know Nothing nominated for oscars but the fact that this is what the industry wants the industry sort of puts blinders on mm -hmm. they have tunnel vision mm -hmm. and this is oh this is working so yeah. we're going to keep doing it and the films that i would rather see aren't getting made as much right well, it's like, you know, there's already those films and it's not to say no, nothing about those films. Like, no, right. I'm not making any comments on the film and no should anyone. But the thing is, there should be a lot of others. That's yes. the thing, right? Like what exactly. you're saying, like a ton more sci-fi films that yeah. are, you know, all like just don't look like the ones that exist today or horror films or whatever. Right. I mean, I think Jordan Peele, like really proved that with exactly. Get Out. Right? Exactly. And so it's funny because... It's like now people just only want Get Out, but you can do that model with a lot of different films. <laughs> You're 100% right. And another part of the problem is that there's a whole space of science fiction films that have been eaten up by the superhero movie. Mm. So the superhero movie, everyone wants the superhero. What's the next superhero movie? What's the next comic book adaptation? Yeah. So it's either smaller indie you know, a uh, film about race or gender yep. or it's the big Avengers DC film and there's not that much space for the stuff in the middle. Yep. And again, I think the industry in, in a very general sense is moving in the right direction, but still, still definitely has some, some work to do. And on that though, like, you know, where you want to go, how do you see your role like what can you do what can we do hmm. to just make those projects that you know come come alive the types that we want to see right well i think you know a whole new generation of filmmakers are getting into the industry and i think a lot of the people who are there right now are people who are established and i understand from their perspective there's little risk that they can take Mm -hmm. There's a whole business behind them. There are hundreds of people working for them. They need to do the thing that is most economically sound. If the Avengers is making money, people are going to see it. I understand you got to make that. You got to make that. You keep making that movie. Yeah. But I'm not saying that I'm young because I'm not. But as a person sort of on the outside of the industry making my way in, mm -hmm. um, I have less to lose. Mm -hmm. And for the films that I write and I make, there's not a whole business of people, but it's just me. And I can, you know, I, I write the films I want to write for indie films that I might want to direct. I can direct the films I want to direct. 
And I think for people who with, with less to lose, they, they can take those risks and, and write and direct films that may not be as, may, may go against the mainstream, may go against right. the grid. So I think that's sort of my job and I'm in our place in the industry. Yep. Yeah. Just more, you know, keep at it, persistence, you know, exactly. more people coming into the industry, thinking differently. I mean, I'll, I'll just say this. So it's like out there, but to me, when I met you, you know, I think we've known each other for a few years now, but as I see you pick up projects or get staffed on television shows, I'm like, it's crazy. I feel you even characterize yourself on the outside of the industry looking in. But mm. I'm like, you've had this major motion picture. That was one of the first movies that Amazon Studio did, directed by Doug Lyman with these big stars. And then these TV shows that they're household names, like these TV shows. And so it's, it's a little nuts to me. Like the way that I've described myself lately is I've said that I don't, so I know I'm not valued in Hollywood, mm -hmm. but I know I have value. That's, I like that. I like you know, that. because I think to me, that is like very accurate reflection of where I am at this stage. But to me, it's almost like it's crazy to me that, that, you, that you even you even have that perspective that you're kind of on the outside looking in given the work that you've done. You know? Well, I, I think I think very much like you, I, I do think I have value, but I'm not valued. I think writers right. oftentimes are I know that they can replace me on any of these TV shows with another writer. Mm -hmm. I know they can uh, replace me at any time with anyone, you know, on a, on a film script that I might be writing. So mm. I understand that, you know, they don't, I don't think they hate me or this is nothing personal, right? but I'm a very interchangeable piece right now. So I, I don't have, like you said, that sort of intrinsic value that there's certain producers and writers and directors out there that there's only one. Yep. And they, you know, they, they have, they, because of that, they have power in the industry and I, I definitely don't feel it. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's nothing that I take personal. It means I just no. keep working harder exactly. and uh, keep trying and uh, keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Keep going, keep going. All right. That's, I think that's a very healthy perspective and think, and, 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 and speaking of that, what is something that you do? I mean, this industry is tough and I've, I've actually, you know, what I've, what I found really interesting is recently with all these podcasts coming up, there's, there's a good number of podcasts that basically talk about horror stories from writer rooms, you know, nice. and so I, I, I can imagine that, you know, they're not easy places to navigate for you. How do you kind of maintain your head on your shoulders? Do you have any self care? kind of regiments that you practice? I don't, I guess I, I, I don't, you know, nothing that I do consciously. I do, I do sports. I love playing basketball. I still okay. play basketball. Yeah. Those are things that I do outside the industry. I think when I first came to LA though, I was so much entrenched in the industry that I would only sort of do filmmaking related stuff. And I would mm. never look outside the industry, but now my perspective has definitely shifted. And I think, Though the industry is great and it's something that I, I want to conquer, I'm not, I don't hold my personal success up to that standard, whether right. I'm successful in the industry or not. So I think it's more so a mindset change that occurred over those, you know, those, those are first, the first five years that I've been in the industry. And, I'm, you know, I, I, I mm. spend more time with my brother's kids, my nieces and nephews, and oh. I love the time that I spend with them and, you know, people, my family, these type of things are, are they help nurture you. So I think yeah. those, you know, that, that aspect of life is, is more 
is more important than film industry work. For sure. Yeah. At yeah. the end of the day, like we all are very driven clearly, but having that balance and realizing that, you know, this is a job and there's life to live and focusing exactly. on that. Exactly. Separating um, that from life, film and life, they're, they're two different things, you know, at, yeah. in the beginning, I sort of clumped them together, but it's really easy to separate them out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one and, thing that happened to me was after the, the wall film came out, there's mm -hmm. this big premiere in New York. We went there, there were celebrities there as mm -hmm. well. We sat down, we watched the film, the film came out. Mm -hmm. And after that weekend, everybody moved on. It was like, ah. on to the next thing. No, it was, it was so brief, all that work, you know, years worth of work. We spent hours on the phone every night with Doug and out late night hours working on the script for six months. We were on set in the desert for three weeks in the sand and all that. And all that work amounted to a few days um, over the weekend in New York. And it was nice. It's not a bad thing, but it's not something you should sort of wreck as this, this holy thing to achieve. It's a job, you know, you, you sort of go through it and it's a job that you love, but there, there are other things that are, are more important in life. For sure. Yeah. Very well said. A, a, a question popped into my head as you were saying that, you know, I've, kind of didn't think about this earlier, but so the wall, it was made for Amazon Studios. So they kind of released it basically on Prime, but they also released it in the theater, right? Right. There was a theatrical. So Amazon's great about this. They'll do a theatrical release exclusively in theaters for six months, three months, depending on the popularity of the film. Yeah. And then they'll do the DVD release and then they'll do the um, streaming release. Yep. So unlike it's more traditional know, or it's like, yeah. a, it's like a, it's like a hybrid, but still more on the traditional side. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Unlike Netflix where you can't buy the DVDs yeah. for your show or for your movie, yeah. um, it's only on the streaming platform. For you, did that help? Do you think that that helped you having that visibility that it, that film, you know, still kind of went theatrical, like for you in your career? I think it did. I think, you know, coming off the wall, when the wall was released, I was getting more meetings. I was talking to more producers. There was a lot more, I don't know if the word, the right word is heat or excitement around me as a writer. And I, you know, I got some pretty big, you know, not to name drop, but uh, a, a Marvel film I was sure. up to write. And that was a very exciting thing. I didn't get it in the end. Right. But I, at least, you know, at least I was in the conversation. So that was, it was a very exciting time around the release right. of that, that film. Okay, cool. Are there any current, whether movies or television or books, like any recommendations that you have? I, I can't say there's any new shows that I'm watching right now that I would say I'm, I'm in love with, but there are some that I've watched over the past year. Mm. that, that I, I, I would definitely recommend. For those of you with Netflix, I would check out a TV series called Dark. Mm, um, I've heard of it. It's very, you know, titles, it's a German show, but it's, in my opinion, the best science fiction television show of all time. Mm. It's wow. so accurately good. It's, it blew my mind. So um, Dark. Mm. Okay. something I would recommend on the television side. And as far as narrative video games, mm. 
I would recommend The Last of Us 2. Mm. Even though a lot of people didn't like it, it's something that I'm I'm replaying right now that I I, I had a great time with. So stories can be told in a lot of different mediums, and I think video games are, is is a space where you can tell some great stories. Yeah, for sure. So those are my um, only two recommendations. I haven't seen a uh, a film that I really really liked recently. You can check out Zack Snyder's Justice League. I'd say yeah. it's better. It's better than the uh, than the uh, theatrical version. Right, I think almost anything is that one. That thing yes. is horrible. But that's I what I that... watched most recently. And do you have any like uh, thoughts about like writing or making a video game? Because I think that would be interesting too. I, I would love to, I would love the opportunity to tell um, a story in in games. I mean, especially since you were saying that you do all this like military genre stuff. Like that seems like a yeah. big video game, you know, first person shooter kind of thing. Yeah, the Call of Duty stuff. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of Call of Duty. I, I loved a lot of the games they came out with in the past, the Modern Warfare series. I mean, if I, if I had the opportunity, I, right. I, I, I would jump at it, but it's, again, it's just as hard. Writing for video games is just as hard as oh, to, yeah. get in, to get in that door yeah, yeah, as yeah. it is film. So uh, that's true. Yeah, I'm, I'm on the outside looking in again. Right. Well, we'll figure it out soon. Cool. Well, oh, the only thing I would say on my end is like, uh, I, I, I have been listening to so many podcasts. So one yeah. recommendation I have is there's this podcast called Blockbuster. Blockbuster. Yeah. And if you just want something to listen to, it's pretty amazing because it's about the first season covers the rise of Steven Spielberg with George Lucas. So they came up at the same time and there's yeah. like, you know, most people kind of know that story because those guys are famous enough that there have been so many things written about them, but it talks about they were both a friend. They talk about their friendship and their friendly rivalry. That was like so interesting. Like I, I devoured like all those little details. It was in all the little details of their relationship, the two men, like to the point where like they were actually super jealous of each other in that they thought like each other was better than the, you know. And so one thing they did, I, I love this nugget of knowledge is that they traded points. So I guess Close Encounters of the Third Kind came out around the same time as Star Wars. Hmm. And they traded points on those two movies. <laughs> what does that mean, traded points? So like they traded back-end points. So let's say you get like, you know, whatever your cut of the back-end in, let's say it's 10%, wow. they gave each other, I don't know, it didn't say the percentage, but even if it was like one or half a percent on those movies, right? <laughs> that's probably like, a lot of money, right? Wow, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I had no idea. I that thought they were like, best buds, chums and... No, it was that they were best buds. They were right, best right, friends, right. but they had like a, je like a, 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 a friendly jealousy of each other. They thought, like, for example, like Steven thought Star Wars was better. And then mm. Lucas thought Close Encounters was better. So right. they're like, if you think it's better, then why don't we trade points? And then <laughs> they're like, okay. I will check it out. Blockbuster, you said it's called? Yeah, yeah. It's a good podcast. It's fun. It's fun. It's fun. It's really, it's really well produced. It's like very highly produced because it tells okay. like they have voice actors and they, it's a, there's a score to the podcast. Mm. So it really takes the podcast genre like it's like to the next level. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool, man. Well, thanks for your time. It was great to chat. And at thanks some for point, having me, Jason. I appreciate you know, it. We'll do it again. 100%. Hopefully next time we do it, I'll have something to talk about i'll have something in the works and yeah. i can actually promote it here i'm like yeah hey, go check this out go watch i it. would love that
All right. Cool. All right, Take care. Thank Thanks, you. Wayne. Be good. Peace. And that's it. Thanks so much for listening to episode six of The Linsider. If you take a look at the show notes, you will find links to the various films, TV shows, podcasts that we have mentioned throughout the episode. Again, if you liked this episode, if you like the podcast, please follow, rate, and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app, wherever you listen to this. It's really helpful. And please follow The Linsider on social media. And feel free to write me and let me know your thoughts on email. You can email me at thelinsidershow at gmail.com or DM me on any of the social platforms. Thanks, and please stay tuned for the next episode. I'll be here every Monday.